The Power Trip is a proud member of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. You can find more, more phenomenal Kaiju and Tokusatsu content at kaijuramenmedia.com. What's up, everyone? It is JDF the Green Ranger, and you are listening to The Power Trip. It's more time. Lisa! Listeners with Attitude, this is Nathan Rantmaster Marchan coming to you. And you might be wondering, hey, where's the Ninja Steel episode? It sounds like it's going to be very entertaining. Well, let me assure you, yes, it will be a very entertaining episode once Michael finishes editing it. If you've been following us on social media, you know that recording session was a cluster. It's almost as if the Morphin Grid itself is trying to protect us from Ninja Steel. Yeah. So, unfortunately, since Michael does the lion's share of the editing here at the Power Trip, he needs a little bit more time to get it done. However, I'm giving you... A special lightning round. This is something that we've been intending on sharing with you for a long time. As you know, I am the host of a couple of other podcasts, one of which is the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through Tokusatsu, for which my co-host Michael is a patron. And he sponsored earlier this spring a Patreon episode on MIFV for Green with Evil, the five-parter that introduced us in Mighty Morphin Season 1 to Tommy Oliver and Jason David Frank. So you're going to hear an abridged version of that episode. So let me set the stage here for you a little bit. There are reasons why this is an abridged version. The Monster Island Film Vault is not only a film discussion podcast centered around kaiju and tokusatsu, it is also one that has a little bit of a gimmick. That gimmick being that it is an actual radio show on Monster Island, which is a fictional location in Godzilla films where all the kaiju hang out, basically think Jurassic Park, but with larger creatures, and... I play a fictionalized version of myself that's basically me cranked to 11 in some unusual circumstances. And whenever I have guests on, including Michael, who's been on there pretty often as both a guest and a voice actor, they kind of play character versions of themselves with funny stories about how they got to the island and things like that. So those parts of this episode I did cut out. So if you want to hear the uncut version, I highly recommend listening to that particular episode of the Monster Island Film Vault, which I will link to in the show notes. You're also going to hear what sounds like robot chatter. That is my on-mic producer, Jimmy from NASA, 
the joke is, whenever you hear him on the show during one of the radio broadcasts, that's what he sounds like. He sounds like robot chatter. Nobody listening can understand him, but everybody on the show can understand him. So that's just you know one of the many running gags going along with that. And Jimmy likes to tell wild stories about all kinds of things like the infamous war in space and all of that sort of stuff. So I just wanted to make sure you were aware of that going in, because obviously this is going to be a different format than what you're used to on the power trip. So without any further ado, enjoy this spotlight on Green with Evil. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of Power Rangers, that is what you sponsored. It is. It is true. You want to tell everybody... This is MIFV brought to you by Michael Hamilton. This is the first Patreon-sponsored MIFV Max member episode of 2022. And what is it going to be about, sir? It's going to be about the five-parter that changed Power Ranger history, Green with Evil. Yes, a five-part miniseries that basically is its a movie. In fact, I seem to remember there was a time when... I think all five of those episodes got released on VHS or something as basically a movie. Yeah, they did. They got released as just an extended, like there was no like jump cuts. There was no, like there was, there was no cuts between it was like, it was, it was just the fade to black. And then it goes straight into the next episode. I remember when that, I remember that because I do actually have that VHS somewhere. And I remember it was spliced together as an actual movie. Like it seemed like an actual movie. Yeah, which is actually why it, uh, I was like, you know what? Five episodes, basically a movie. Sounds like a good idea to me. Plus, it's a good tie-in with The Power Trip, A Journey Through the Power Rangers franchise, which is another podcast you and I do. In fact, we did talk about in our, I believe it was Mighty Morphin Season 1, where we say, hey, you want more? You want to learn more about Green with Evil specifically? Come listen to this show. So we're making good on a promise. Right. And because our because our listeners with attitude are probably wondering where that extra information is, because we have we have a ton of downloads on that episode. Yeah, it's impressive. It's been very popular. Very, very popular. Ah, that's a good idea, Jimmy. If we play some epic music for you, Michael, would you like to give the kaiju lovers and perhaps the listeners with attitude a plot synopsis of Green with Evil? I would, actually. That sounds like a lot of fun. All right, Michael. On the count of three, I will cue the music, and you can get on it. One, two, five, I mean three. (laughs) (laughs) The evil space witch, Rita Repulsa, hatches yet another plan to destroy the Power Rangers by invoking the sixth power coin. But before she can, the moon crew must find a worthy champion in the form of yet another teenager with attitude, Tommy Oliver. With the Ranger's mentor gone and the seemingly insurmountable power of the Green Ranger looming, our heroes find a way to break Rita's spell and bring Tommy back to his senses. Well, thank you, Jimmy. It's not quite the level of uh, what Nate can do on the power trip, but I try. I try. (laughs) I'm like the plot synopsis guy on every show I do now. Well, you have the perfect plot synopsis announcer voice. (laughs) Last time on Dragon Ball Z. 
<laughs> and before we get started, I, I do have a bone to pick with old with 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 Jimbo over there. Uh-oh. You know what you did, Jimmy. I put in a request to come to the island and typically you honor my request, but you told me to fend for myself. So you know what I did? I had to go back into my archive of prop toys and pull out a very special something. Oh. And that is what the heck is the dragon dagger. And because I had to do that, I actually found a way to get to the Island here myself. So not to be outdone by your past guest, Dallas, I too summoned the dragon Zord. So thanks for nothing, Jimmy. Well, you know, you're slipping. And speaking of slipping, when I got here, I noticed that you hid all of your special stash in the back. Well, you know, greed and alcoholism go hand in hand with you, doesn't it? Oh, I'm just joking. I'm just joking, Jimmy. Come on. Any like people who can wield a Kirk Fu karate chop like you are not to be trifled with. Oh, stop it. You're bloating his ego now. (laughs) I still, I still love Jimmy, but it was a little bit disappointing that I at least thought I was going to come here in Uber Mogra. Yeah. Yeah. He's been trying to get a side hustle started with that thing now through Uber, apparently. Oh, okay. That Uh, makes sense. So Jimmy, tell the truth. Were you just working that day and just didn't have time to get me or, or what? I mean, that's fine, man. All you had to do is tell me. You didn't have to just leave me hanging. Like, you you basically ghosted me, and I had to fend for myself. Yeah, but in Jimmy's defense, you got the Dragon Zord, and I'm sure, I'm sure Mr. Oliver's trying to find it right now. And you might want to be a little careful with that, because I know the powers that be are trying to get him to make an appearance here on the island. Oh, after we arrived in Ogasawara Bay, I told him to go back and do and go find Tommy. And so, Jimmy, I need to ride back home after this episode. Really? Like, not even the SY3? You're going to send me back in the Garuda? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it is, you know, it's attached to the other big you know, robot dragon. You know, Mechagodzilla, although it's a good thing the Dragonzord's not here. From what I understand, Mechagodzilla and the Dragonzord don't get along. No, they don't. There's there's been there's been some issues there for sure, sure. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got you've got Mechagodzilla who thinks that the Dragonzord ripped him off. The Dragonzord thinks that Mechagodzilla ripped him off. Yeah. It's a thing. It's yeah. a thing. It's a, it's a thing. thing. It's a thing for sure, for sure. But speaking of Dragonzords. <laughs> That is one of many things that get introduced in this five-parter. You were not kidding when you said that this was a momentous thing. Now, I do want to give, I just realized, I should give a quick bit of background. For those who don't know, this was a big five-part storyline in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which, again, for those who don't know, was created by Haim Saban and Shuki Levi, and they made it by basically adapting the Super Sentai series Zhu Ranger for American audiences. They took most of the superhero footage and then filmed new scenes around it with new American actors as the heroes. So some 
and you know who you are. You know who you are when call Power Rangers the bastardization of Super Sentai. <laughs> but that's the long and short of it. So what we're seeing here was, for what I recall, looking at the special features on the Shout Factory DVDs, they were going through the footage and they're like, oh, look, there's this green guy. Okay, well, there's this green ranger. Okay, make a note of that. We're going to have to cast this guy. And then he kept coming back. And they're like, oh, he's not just a one-off character. Well... Okay. <laughs> then they noticed that he stayed on a lot longer. So they're like, okay, we need to hire another ranger. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much it. The, the, the green power Rangers at this point was already like a worldwide phenomenon. And I feel like when the green with evil five parter came on television, that just brought everything up to another level yeah. for the fan base, because mm-hmm. we get, we get introduced, we get introduced to arguably one of the most popular, if not the most popular ranger in the franchise, which is Tommy Oliver, the green ranger mm-hmm. through this five parter. And, you know, we can go into this later, but you no, know, this, this, five-part episode or this five-part miniseries in this first season ended up making huge waves throughout the franchise yeah. that e- that have lasted even to this day. Yeah, yeah. This was, I think it technically starts at, it's, part one is actually listed as episode 17 of the series overall. 16. 16. 16. Okay, 16. I stand corrected. You got it. That you, you, you got there before Jimmy did. <laughs> But regardless, you know, so it's, you know, it's a, a little ways into the show. And I feel like this was when the show kind of figured itself out, like in this first season. And they really stepped up their game with this in terms of adapting the Sentai and crafting an interesting story around it. It's still campy, as you would expect Power Rangers to be. Yeah, it's campy, but there's a lot of weight to it, though. Yeah, there is, there, there definitely is. There's a lot of weight, and and this five parter. I was when I was rewatching it, I and watched. It breaks the formula too. That's the other. Oh, it, yeah, thing. it breaks the formula, but there's a lot. Of, but what I was gonna say was there, there. There's a lot of weight to this, and it it gets progressively better as it goes along. Like we've already established this on the power trip. And, you know, this is we've we've made this joke before, but if you really want to establish a threat level with your villain, have them invade the command center. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. But one thing that I found that was interesting for me as I was doing the research on this is that unbeknownst to me, each part of this miniseries has its own title. Did you know that? I did. Yes. Yeah. I, I was unaware of that until I started finding all of the, the discs in the film vault. So you know, part one is out of control. Part two is Jason's battle. Part three is the rescue. Part four is eclipsing Megazord, which I actually think might be my favorite title out of the five. And then part five is breaking the spell. Mm-hmm. But they don't tell you any of this. <laughs> they don't tell you any of this, but it is... In the in the mainline show, in the main disc itself, it is just Green with Evil Part One, Two, Three, Four, Five. But on, like you said, on the individual discs for Green with Evil, it you do get the episode titles. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's interesting that each episode has its own title that indicates what's going on. Like for you know, Eclipsing Megazord, you said is probably your favorite of the of the of the five parts. Which oh, well, my favorite uh, title. 
Oh, favorite title. Okay. So that one is really interesting. It's not the most, I would, I would, I would say that eclipsing Megazord is probably the one where, where the series kind of gives you your, your major oh moment. Uh, <laughs> Where's Jet? Where's Jet? <laughs> I think Jet is here today. Because if if I'm recall if I'm remembering correctly, this is the first time the the Megazord or the Dinosaurs have been technically destroyed in scare yeah. quotes. Yeah, yeah. There, like like you said before, there's a lot of weight to this. It feels really dire the whole time because the Rangers are operating without Zordon because Evil Tommy just goes in and trashes the command center, takes out Alpha, and so. They don't have Zordon to fall back on for most of it. And so right. that's one problem they're trying to fix. Well, the Rangers are truly on their own now. Like yeah. this is, remember when we talked about season one on the power trip, we talked about how season one was all about coming of age yeah. and, a, and, a, and a whole thing about coming and a, a whole aspect of about that coming of age story is sometimes you have to grow up and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a, this five-parter is a grow up kind of moment for our, for our heroes mm-hmm. because they're doing this, they're doing this without their mentor. Zordon, Zordon is, he leaves and he leaves in part one. He doesn't come back till halfway through part five. So the Rangers are all figuring this out on their own practically with a little bit of help from Alpha. But this five-parter is where I feel like Jason really steps up as a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. And well, and I I also think another, you know who's another character I think really gets the shine in this? It's Billy. Oh yeah, this is like this this five-parter showcases like Billy's technical prowess. I think if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, this is the first episode where we part 1 is the first episode where we get introduced to the rad oh, the, the, the rad but the rad bug. Yeah, oh, the rad bug. The rad bug. How in blazes is a flying Herbie the love bug invented by a teenager in his garage who may or may not be old enough to drive and Billy is not as rich as Elon Musk? Yes, Jimmy, I know he's technically on Aquatar, but still. (laughs) Right? Uh, Uh, But still. I mean, I... Oh, wait, hold that, Jimmy. Hold that, hold that. What was that? You have that stupid thing in your garage? Why the hell didn't you tell me that? I would have liked to know that too. Well, then, Jimmy, you're going to send me home in the rad bug this time around. Oh, okay, yeah. Apparently, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to do that, yeah. Uh, But Although, to quote one of my heroes, it belongs in a museum. Anyway. Am I, now, I, I now granted, I will probably have to sign a waiver before I leave because that thing may be on its last leg or on its last wheel at this point. Yeah, but yeah, probably. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take the risk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, apparently Jimmy says he's so unimpressed with it, you can just keep it. <laughs> oh, sweet. I'll just use it as my permanent transport now. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Danny got the Pteranodon bot. You get the rad bug. I hope nice. you're happy. <laughs> nice. I'm not even really. I'm not even really a car guy, but I'll I'll take it. Yeah, but knowing you, you'll probably sell it. <laughs> nah, I, th- I think I, I think the nostalgia and the um, the sentimental value. There we go. There the you go. Sentimental. The sentimental value will start kicking in there. Yeah, probably. But anyway, yes, Billy gets to shine in this. He gets to use his technical prowess, 
and not only with the rad bug, but also he get he fixes Alpha, I think, a couple of times. He spends the whole thing when he's not rangering, trying to fix the computers to get Zordon back. It, uh, it, so they're really leaning into him right now uh, on the team. And actually, that's a good thing to bring up because this Power Rangers and Super Sentai as well is all about the superhero team dynamic. And I do feel like even though some of the characters get to do more than others in this five-parter, they all get to have moments where they get to shine. Billy gets to do the technical stuff. Jason, as you put it, really comes into himself as a leader. Uh, Kimberly does her best to reach out to Tommy. We also see the beginnings of her, like as soon as she sees him, she's crushing on him and they're playing the funny heart music and everything. So it's like, in case you didn't know, <laughs> although like, I have opinions about how that turns out, listen to the power trip episode on Zio. You upset me, Kim. I know she was your first crush. We're Michael. not. Okay. That's enough. That's, that's enough. We're not going there. We don't need, we don't need a 20 minute diatribe on yeah, how I understand. We're keeping it on this. We're keeping it on this mini series. <laughs> uh, Zach at least gets to have some of the cornier jokes he's had in a while. Zach's wax. Yeah. Which sounds like a euphemism for <laughs> something else, but we won't go there. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Trini's probably the one that probably doesn't get as much to do as the rest of them. Although, like I said, Zach is mostly still trying to be the comic relief. Yeah, Zach, some of the characters take a little bit of a backseat. And the, this this five-parter focuses on four people. Tommy, Oliver, is the Green Ranger. Kim, who is the who crushes on the Green Ranger. That's that mo- emotional connection there. And then you've got Jason who is trying to, you know, be the leader of this team in a very dire situation. In fact, I think it was in, if I'm remembering, if I remember, I think it's in part four, Jason's speech was something that really kind of like drove it home for me. What, and he, when he, when he's talking to the Rangers and his, it was post, which was the eclipsing the Megazord. Yeah. So this was after they lost the Megazord. Jason says, <clears throat> Isn't the smallest chance of victory enough for us to keep fighting? Yeah. So that is his. That is him trying to pep up his team because at this point, uh, all the Rangers, including Billy to some degree, have lost hope. Like because Zach even looks at Jason. I think it was after he said that line where it's like, "But we don't have our Zords. We don't like the Green Ranger had. Like we're done for. We're done. Like at, at this point, I'm paraphrasing. Where I think that. Jason has the most character development and the character growth in this five-parter because there's in part two when it's, uh, when it's Jason's battle, they really focus in on him and like what, what, what impact that makes when you remove your leader from the team, like it throws everything into disarray. And, it, and it's obvious where the Rangers look to Jason as their leader because they struggle in that episode to really kind of come together and, and, and be who they need to be in this moment without their leader. At this point, Zordon is done. He's gone. They can't get him back. Jason is now gone. He's in the dark dimension with Goldar. And, you know, the Rangers are in disarray at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's talk about that because that the, part two when he's there and then into a little bit of part three is actually one of my favorite sequences or scenes, I guess you could say, of 
the five-parter and it has nothing uh, well it doesn't have a whole lot to do with tommy and that's you know jason in that pocket dimension with goldar it has one of my favorite lines actually from the five-parter it's like now you are demanding soon you will be begging <laughs> that was that was actually part two by the way yeah yeah i know but i said it goes into part three and I know you're like, I know you actually kind of criticized me a little bit on the power trip because I said, I love the fact that he's using what you would think would just be mood atmosphere, you know, with the, cause obviously when they're making, when they were filming this, they're using a fog machine to create some atmosphere with that, but he used the, the environment to his advantage and he hid in it. And then Golar's walking around. It's a very suspenseful sequence where he's just walking around, just randomly stabbing at the ground, hoping he hits Jason. Mm-hmm. I really, I actually really appreciated that. And then there's a point where he comes with, he comes within an inch of Jason's head and he has to cock his head just slightly to avoid it. And then yeah. he just keeps going. And then it ends with, <laughs> with your new favorite meme that I made for you. <laughs> with angry <Yeah>. Jason. <laughs> Damn it, Marchand. <laughs> Yes, Jimmy, I know you say it every day to me. <laughs> That's where I, I actually got that from Jimmy because I oh. overheard I overheard uh, I overheard Jimmy in the bake the break room one day pouring some coffee and I guess you I guess you had forgot to you know refill the the creamer and oh. I I heard I heard Jimmy mumbling to himself, damn it, Marchand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I admit that, you know, when it was my day because we designated uh, we, everyone gets designated to refill the creamer in the office, and it was my day, and I forgot. I'm sorry. Sorry. <sighs> Calm the heck down, Matt. I didn't realize you didn't like black coffee. Ugh. I mean, he's a, Jimmy's a man's man, but there are just some lines that he won't cross, uh, I guess. Apparently, apparently. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, what did you think of that? Because it's, like I said, it was a highlight for me. Oh, it's definitely a highlight. It's It's very suspenseful, and like, I criticize that scene because because I'm looking at it from the practicality standpoint. Like, okay, that that fog machine is there for atmosphere, but you can still see the floor. It's not like all Goldar would have to do is go, and there Jason and there Jason is. Like that's that's all he had to do. But okay, so I get it. Like it's there for atmosphere. It's there for mood, and it's there for suspense. From a from a storytelling uh, standpoint of it. I liked it. It was great from a practical effects standpoint. I feel like they could have done something a little bit differently, d- done something a little bit different that was a little bit more believable or turned up the fog machine, but that probably would have messed with the footage. So I liked it. My criticisms of it are nitpicky at best. Yeah. And I, and I acknowledge that, but I liked it I, as from, like I said, from a storytelling standpoint, I thought that it was really well done to establish the threat level. And I know we talk, we're going to talk a lot about establishing the threat level, establishing your villains and, and establishing the, the, the insurmountable odds that were, that our heroes are facing here. Yeah. I know we're going to talk about that, but it's those little moments like that, that all work in tandem to reinforce the idea that, you know, sometimes things and situations are not as simply resolved as they as they should be or as they seem to be. Well, and that's actually now that you bring that up, it makes me think that considering that this would have been, you know, this would have aired, you know, every day for a week. This is, you know, they were airing the show during the week before school, after school. And uh, 
So this would have come a few weeks into the show's run. They have established this is the status quo. And then, you know, this miniseries changes the status quo for them. Oh, in a, in a big way. Yeah. And it also, now that we've, you know, they've shown us what the Rangers can do. Now it's like, let's take some things away from them. Let's take Zordon away. So they have to mm-hmm. operate on their own. Oh, Jason is stuck in an arena with Goldar. Oh, he could just morph. Oh, Goldar's like, I have your morpher. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to put, yeah. So we're going to put, Jason at a disadvantage, which then helps to create some suspense. I'm sure the kids watching this are probably freaking out a little bit because they're like, Oh no, how's he going to do this? You know? So it's very, it's a very good way of, you know, showing what the characters do and what they need. And then, you know, putting limitations on them. Okay. They can Mm -hmm. only become the superheroes if they have the transformation devices. It makes it shows it shows that they're very human at the at the core. Like they're superheroes, yes, but they're also human. Like there's this there's that one line. I think it's in part three where Goldar says, he says, "No human has ever defeated me." And and Jason says, "Well, I'm I'm going to be the first. And I'm sitting there like, but you've been defeated. Yeah, there's by like human. a dozen or so episodes before this. Did you forget it's, about that? Like, okay, <laughs> that's that's odd. But anyway. But yes, by by taking something away from our heroes, by like putting them at a disadvantage, like you said, it does raise that level of urgency. That does it does raise that level of oh crap! Like our heroes are not going to be able to easily get out of this as they have been prior. And I think if anything, and I know this is fast, this is fast forwarding a little bit, but where green with evil. It, it it builds to a point and it kind of falls flat at the end. Oh, really? Because it kind of falls a little bit flat because, and I know it's a kid's show. I get it. It's a kid's show. You got to kind of work within those parameters. I get that. But it's like the instant, the, the instant forgiveness, the instant, like, like I have to redeem myself, like the inst, like that instantaneous thing, like not, ha- and w- we will see this later. Tommy wrestles with his actions as the green Ranger. We'll see this later, but just the instantaneous, like, Oh man, like Jason says, Oh man, we forgive you. Will you be a power Ranger now? As soon as it's over. Like for me, I wouldn't trust that guy. I would be like, you're going to set out for a little bit and make sure that this thing is really done for you before you can become a ranger. But for the sake of like driving the message home of, you know, you can, you've overcoming evil, redemption, forgiveness, like driving that message home was, it, it was important for the show to kind of end it quickly, you know, not, not linger there for too long, which, you know, I really, but it could have been, it could have been just a, a case of not having enough stock footage or not having, or, or not wanting to run the risk of replaying the same stock footage to kind of build up to a bigger crescendo moment for this. But it just, it just felt a little bit flat at the end, I thought, but that's just me. I can kind of understand that. The, it, we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit because, you know, we'll, we'll have a nice little thematic discussion, I think, after we go through all of this. But I can see what you mean by that. It might have seemed a little bit rushed, but I think rushed. it's also yeah. the conventions of the time. It was well. like this. This is a very, you know, this is a very episodic. This is a very episodic show. 
I think we talked about, I think I can't remember what episode of the power trip it was, but we talked about how shows in the nineties and even in the early two thousands were very episodic as opposed to serialized as they, as they are now. So for them to do something like this was a big deal because you didn't see stuff like this on television all that, especially in a kid's show. You may have seen it in other, in other franchises, but in a kid's show, doing something that built, like doing a story arc that builds and builds and builds upon each other, that was a big deal. I feel like for, for, for the, for a uh, show in five the part, doing five part miniseries like this as part of the show was something that was being done in the 80s with mm. G.I. Joe, Transformers, and things like that. But it wasn't necessarily something that was attempted often, and I'm a little surprised because you're definitely incentivizing your audience to watch every day of the week yeah. to see what happens. That's for, for sure. sure. I remember those times. I remember all, like the, the three words that were the bane of my existence as a kid were to be continued because I'm like, oh, man, I have to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to be able to watch tomorrow? <laughs> Where's mom going to make me do so? Or I got to go somewhere. I don't know. I honestly, I don't even remember if I was able to catch all of this every single day in the nineties. Honestly, like, I don't know. Like I, I remember coming home from school and watching power Rangers. It always, it would come on every day at the same time, three o'clock PM Eastern standard time after school. And then on Saturday mornings, they would play at like 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. So yeah, but since we're talking about, you know, the the first and all of that, like I said, we it introduced us to Tommy Oliver. It also introduced us to Jason David Frank, <laughs> the actor who plays him, who has been nothing but a friend of this franchise ever since. And hilariously, despite the fact that they try very hard, especially at the beginning of this ep- uh, of this miniseries to present Jason and Tommy as equals. Let's be honest. <laughs> we know Jason David Frank is the better martial artist here. If he wanted to, if it wasn't wasn't for the script, he would probably take out. <laughs> what was the what was the actor's name again for uh, Austin, Austin Saint, Saint John? John? He would take Austin Saint John out. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are the the caliber of actor. Well, I won't say the caliber of actor because there are still like some very cheesy. I wouldn't say that Jason David Frank is a great actor, but he is a great performer. Yes. He is a, he is a great performer. Like he does all of his own stunts from what I, from what I can recall from what I've read in the power Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. The uh, power Rangers visual guide as you put it. Yeah. The power Rangers visual guide, AKA the power Bible. Yeah. He, he did all, he did most of, if not all of his own stunts because he wanted that sense of realism and really interestingly enough, there's only like one little excerpt about green with evil in that entire book. Although, you know, they're trying to encompass everything about mighty that first season of mighty Morphin into like a single chapter. It's like the first, the first chapter of that book is like 20 page, 20 or 30 pages because they're trying to encompass everything about mighty Morphin into those pages. So they, and if they did everything, if they explored everything that was, that had that green with evil had the offer, that book would probably be like 500 pages. And yeah. it's, it's not. So I just, I just found it really interesting that I don't know if I should read the, you can cut go this out, it. but go I want, for it. Should, should I read the excerpt? Yeah, go okay. for it. 
I, I just found this little excerpt from Jason David Frank in the book kind of interesting. And it says, Jason David Frank, who plays Tommy Oliver, is easily identified with the character he plays on the show. Quote, Tommy Oliver was a lot like me, he explains. We both did martial arts, loved life, and wanted to get along with everyone. Frank felt that children could understand his character's challenges as a new kid in town, which, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit. And then Jason David Frank says, he was something of a loner, and then he became a leader to his and my own surprise. So, you know, this kind of gives us a glimpse into maybe Frank's personal life where he was, I think if I'm not mistaken, Frank was a, Frank maybe an army brat. If I, I haven't dig, I haven't dug really into his biography, but. Uh, well, there's something for you to look up, <laughs> uh, Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to make sure I want to make sure I'm correct. So I'm not going to go super deep here, but I, if I'm recalling correctly, Frank was a, an army brat, so he moved around a lot as a kid. So playing a character like Tommy Oliver, who seemingly has moved around a lot, which is kind of expanded upon in a in a comic that we'll talk about later, he moves around a lot and he finds himself in Angel Grove. He finds himself being the new kid in town, and you know. I personally have never had to experience that. I, I haven't moved around a lot as a, I didn't move around a lot as a kid, but I can understand where that, where he's coming from because I was, I was friends with kids who moved from say like out of state or something like that. And it is difficult. It would be difficult for anyone like trying to reestablish themselves in a new community around with new people and new and try to make new friends. And I feel like that's something that kids at that time were dealing with that was super important. Mm-hmm. And I will say, by bringing him on, I think the fight choreography in the Saban footage really stepped up in this. It did. Yeah, it, it did. Now, I would say that Austin St. John is no slouch himself. Oh, no, not, uh, certainly not. Like, none of them are slouches. Like, a lot, now, none of them, not, not all of them you know, had a working knowledge of martial arts prior to the show. There were a few of them that had to learn it because of the show. I think Amy Jo Johnson was one of them. And maybe even uh, David Yost, who plays Billy, had to learn martial arts after starting the show. David Yost, the buffest nerd ever. (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. But, you know, there was a, there were, but there were a couple of actors, Tui Trang, uh, Walter, what is, I cannot ever remember. Walter uh, Jones. Walter Jones, thank you. All of they all had a background in martial arts prior to being in the show, and it shows. Like Zach is Zach seems to be a very talented and capable martial artist as well. Like I said, Austin St. John, who plays Jason, is no slouch himself. But Tommy is on another, or uh, Jason David Frank rather, is on another level as far as his martial arts skills, and that shows. That shows that that shows throughout that shows in the footage used for this five parter and throughout the series, you know, even in later series where his skills obviously progress to be better. Like Jason David Frank is a very talented stunt actor. We'll say that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you know if that was him in the Green Ranger costume in the Saban footage? Uh, yes, I, yes, I think I'm, I'm 90% certain that that is, that is him playing the green range. I know that he played Tommy, the white range. I know that was him as the white ranger doing a lot of those stunts in season two, two. in season two, but I want to say yes, but I'm only 90% certain of that. Yeah. I was going to say, cause there are certain scenes like when he's in the dark dimension and he's practicing, mm-hmm. it looks like the same uh, when he's doing some right. of the moves that he did before. It's like, that does look like how 
we saw him moving in the previous scene. So yes. I'm kind of assuming that that was also him in the costume. I would assume that scenes like that, yes. I would assume that that's the case. But for like fight choreography and things like that, maybe they use the stunt actor a couple of times because there is, you know, Jason David Frank is not a small guy. He's a little bit, he, him and Austin St. John are very bulky. They're very bulky guys. They're very muscular men. And you can, you can tell the difference between maybe them versus like a stunt actor who would be a little bit smaller. Yeah. Or the um, Sentai footage where they the, have or the, where the Rangers definitely look a little smaller, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> which actually becomes a little evident in this because there's, they, I think this is one of the first times I think where the Ranger, the Zhu Ranger costumes were sent to Saban for them to film new footage. Because we do see some Saban footage of the other Rangers, and the Red Ranger definitely looks a little bigger. <laughs> that, let me tell you, that that Red Ranger costume is a little tight on that actor. We'll say that. Don't, and don't get me don't get me started on the hard taco versus soft taco debate. Oh, I was gonna bring that up because let uh, our fr- this is a little infamous for those who don't know. There, the dragon shield, which is this kind of a breastplate that is on the that is famously on the Green Ranger. The first time we see Tommy as the Green Ranger, it's actually in Saban footage, not in Sentai footage. Although, if you look really carefully, when when Rita is when they're dubbing over Bandora from. <laughs> from Zhu Ranger. She's supposed to be casting a spell and it. They basically do it like one of those bad lip reading videos on YouTube where she, she's just saying a bunch of nonsense and it's supposed to be magic uh, words. Lama. Uh, yeah. And it's okay. he's supposed to be Tommy rising from this table yeah. while she's performing some sort of occultic ritual. It's like, that's Sentai footage. That's not him. You pay attention to the silhouette. That's not him. <laughs> yeah. But the first time we see him with this dramatic reveal with greed smoke and everything. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, what for what I understand happened, we talked about this in the power trip because this continues on throughout the Green Rangers appearance in Power Rangers in all three seasons. The uh, dragon shield that was used in the Sentai footage actually looks very nice, very form-fitting. It's made out of what I'm guessing was probably high-caliber rubber. Mm-hmm. Looks very nice. I'm guessing it was damaged either in transit. I don't. Re- I swear it, I read somewhere it was either damaged in transit to California. It was. No, or it was, it was damaged it, when uh, when they were filming Zhu Ranger. It wasn't damaged. It was lost. It was lost. It was lost. Okay. It was lost. It was lost in transit. So. Okay. Someone so, stole the dragon shield. <laughs> those jerks. <laughs> so and, Saban decided, well, we need it. So let's make a new one. And they made it out of fabric. And it looks terrible. It looks really flimsy. And it's a little too big compared to the Saban footage, to the Sentai footage. <laughs> it's so bad that it kind of takes you out of it a little bit when you're a little kid i'm sure you probably don't notice but when you uh, when you're a bit more when you're a more discerning adult you're just like oh good lord (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, it does. It obviously takes you out of it a little bit. And that's, and I make the joke of hard taco versus talk versus soft taco. Yeah, we stole that from a Twitter meme. <laughs> was it, was it a Twitter? Yeah. I can't remember if it, if it was Ranger power, not Ranger power. Hour. No, um, uh, it was, uh, the power ranger hype Twitter. Account that's what, said, oh, that's right. Do you power like ranger your hype, taco yeah. soft or hard? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's just a, it's, I don't know. It's just a weird little thing that you don't, like you said, don't we, as a kid in the nineties, you probably didn't care or you didn't notice like, Oh, there's the dragon ranger with the dragon shield, you know, whatever. But as an adult, you know, kind of taking a look at these with a more critical eye, it doesn't look great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it should be mentioned. We should have mentioned this earlier that uh, another character who really gets to shine a little bit more this time around is alpha. Oh yeah. And he alpha, gets, messed, uh, with, he gets yeah. messed with a couple of times in the most nineties way possible, which is, you know, you corrupt a robot with a CD ROM. So with a, with a, with a, with a CD ROM containing a virus. But what I really liked about this five-parter is that alpha essentially takes the reins as the mentor character yeah. from Zordon because Zordon's not there for this. Yeah. And even in that last episode, if I'm not mistaken, I didn't write it down, but in that last episode, I think even uh, Zordon says he, he even thanks alpha for alpha's yes. leadership. Commends him. Yes. Yeah, he commends him for his leadership. And that's something you don't get to see very often from Alpha because Alpha is just the the hands and feet of Zordon. He is just there to, you know, be a physical thing that can interact with the with the Rangers in place of, you know, Zordon not being able to. So I, I was really happy that Alpha got his he got some time to shine, we'll say in this in this. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, what's another thing that got introduced in this? What's uh, that? A popular villain who, weirdly enough, only made sporadic appearances. Scorpina. Be horny. <laughs> horny in one way here. Horny in a different way in the audio drama. Um, she, like she's the horniest character in this. I feel like she's the she's the horniest villain in this uh, in this series. Yeah. <laughs> calm down jimmy calm down yes we get (laughs) we get we get introduced to our true femme fatale of the ranger franchise miss scorpina aka lami from jew ranger Ranger. and i wish i knew that actress's name because i will admit she is a fine woman. <laughs> oh, she's she's she is gorgeous. She is Although, absolutely gorgeous. Scorpina is very different from her Sentai counterpart. Yeah, I she's mean, a, even- Scorpina's a little more one note in Power Rangers, whereas Lamy is actually quote unquote Goldar's wife. By Goldar, mm-hmm. I mean Griffizor. Yeah, they're married, and she is weirdly affectionate and. And kind of nice to uh, to him. You get shades of it here, but a little. They yeah, added like out the, all of those bits, which is too bad because I would have thought that Scorpita and Goldar being married would have been an interesting thing to keep. You see a little bit of it in the scene where they're standing when they're standing together and they're drinking wine and they're celebrating because she she has her hand on Goldar's chest. Yeah, and that, that's a very like affectionate. That's a, that's a, that's a sign of affection. Yeah. And you see a little bit of that, but I'm like, I'm with you. I think I would have liked to have seen some of that more like relational dynamic between the two, but you, 
that would have, I would have, I'd be afraid that that would make our villains likable. And in the nineties, you can't make your children's villains well, likable. Yeah. We're, uh, we're not going to do that right now in power Rangers. Right. We got to wait a few more seasons before we get that. You got to wait at least five seasons to be exact before your villains yes, become likable. Yes. And I'm going to contain myself. So <laughs> we have that episode of the power trip is coming up very soon. <laughs> I, I will. I'm just going to say this. Diva talks is one of the most likable characters in the power Rangers canon. I agree with you, Jimmy fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jimmy, you and I were having a conversation in the break room today about how much you admire Diva Tux's talents as well. And you guys call me the dude, bro. Come on, Jimmy. That's not very, that's not very PC of you. Certainly. We may have to have jet censor you there a little bit, Jimmy. A little hot under the collar there. Plus I've lost a little respect for you. Diva Tux. Really? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyone who doesn't know, who doesn't follow Power Rangers is terribly confused right now. So, <laughs> but no, so we get, uh, so Scorpina is in here. She is a little bit different compared to the other villains because when Rita pulls her make my monster grow thing, she doesn't just get huge. She gets ugly. She gets really ugly and kind of terrifying to be honest. Oh, she's, she's extremely terrifying. No, she's extremely terrifying. And I don't know if that's, it's obviously never explained in power Rangers, why she literally transformed when she's, when she's small, she's human and she's beautiful and, and she's very like feminine and things. But when she grows, she turns into a literal like scorpion creature. And I'm not 100% sure why that was the case. It was, it's really never explained, even in the Sentai. Um, I was going to say, you've seen more Zhu Ranger than I have. It's, yeah, it's never really explained in the Sentai. It's, I, I can venture to guess that it's just because, you know, big, scary creature is more terrifying than sexy woman who also happens well, to be big. Well, I mean, this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit to a thematic discussion that we're going to have, but... It could be kind of a, one of those things where evil can look alluring and charming. And then oh, when, okay. when, once the mask comes off, you realize just how ugly it really is. Oh, we're going to talk about the mask. I've got all, I got a bunch of notes on the, on masking evil, but we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get yeah, there. yeah. I'm just saying, I, I'm just saying, I don't want to you know get too crazy about it, but I wouldn't be surprised because it, it, let's be honest. Yeah, you're right. A, a giant, uh, you know, a hot babe is not necessarily going to be nearly as scary as a scorpion creature that wants to rip your face off or stab you in the chest if you're the Megazord. <laughs> but uh, the other thing that we, we've already talked about it a little bit, your, tr- your transport here, we are introduced to the Dragon Sword, and I will admit, uh, uh, you know, little Nate, when he was wa- when he would watch this, would be like Mechagodzilla. That, it's Mechagodzilla. Is that a, is that a euphemism? Is that a euphemism? <laughs> little little Nate. Yeah, when I was little Nate, that just sounds weird. If it's a, uh, in that context, <laughs> as a euphemism. Anyway, <laughs> so it's the Dragon Sword. The Dragon Sword. It's basically uh, Mechagodzilla. So basically, yes. It's basically, Mechagodzilla yes. with a drill on the on the. I have to say, the Megazord is iconic, right? But the, let's be honest, the Dragon Sword might be the coolest Zord in Mighty Morphin. 
Well, actually, I prefer, like, I love the Mega, I, I love the OG Megazord. The OG Megazord is the icon. It is the one that people either, people for the most part love, or they love to hate on it because it is so saturated within, you know, Ranger yes. canon and lore and things. Like, there's always something to do, like, there, there's a, if, whether it's a toy or a comic or whatever, they're always going to start with the Megazord because that's, that just makes sense. But my favorite Megazord combination, actually from from Zhu Ranger and, and from the original Mighty Morphin, is actually Dragonzord in Battle Mode, where it's got the where it has the which it has we the also see in this. Yeah, we have the it has the Triceratops and saber tooth tiger feet, the Mastodon arms, but the body of the the Dragonzord comes together to form this big gold shield on its chest that that emblemizes or resembles the emblem of the dragon uh, the six ranger coin, the dragon coin, and it just looks cool. Like it just looks cool. Like I want that. Like I want something like that sitting on my shelf. I have enough Megazords. I have like six different Megazords on my shelf right now. I need a Dragon Zord in battle mode. Super Seven, someone give me that. Give me that. <laughs> sure, someone will hear you about it. But the other thing that makes it so cool is how Tommy summons it. I mean, you've brought your own little version of it with you today. <laughs> that dragon dagger doubles as a flute and there is just something weirdly mythic about a weapon that can be used as a music that can be used as a musical instrument to summon a monster of some kind well well, it's it's very, and we were and we were talking about this before we started recording. It's very like fairy tale like. Yes, it's it's very It's like very like I don't know, like Pied Piper. Like would would Pied Piper, Piper. be? Would Pied Piper be like a really fair comparison to yeah, make? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But, but, but there's but, other of uh, the magic flute. There's an instance mm-hmm. where there's a flute that can command animals. Yeah, and there's magic just, flute. And, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, is an opera. It's a Wagnerian opera. You and I have talked oh, about me, this. It's you and I have talked about this as I waved my dagger at you. There's another euphemism for you. Anyway, as I swing my dagger. Wait, no, that's not right either. As I thrust my dagger upon. <laughs> no, that's not right either. Um, as as I wag my dagger. No, no, can't go there either. As I point. <laughs> I think that's Jimmy's way of saying, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Okay. But you and I have talked about this. You and I have talked about there is just something incredibly cool about commanding a Zord or a mythical beast, because that's what these creatures are. In Zoo Ranger, they are mythical beasts. Mm-hmm. There's just something really cool about that, like commanding a, a beast like the Dragon Zord with a flute shaped like a sword or shaped like a dagger. Like that yep. just feels very mythic. It's very, I don't know. It's not Arthurian mythic, but it's, it's very like fairy tale, mm-hmm. fa- like final, like not final fantasy, but like fi- like fantasy sword and sandal kind of stuff. Like it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's honestly, I think one of the things that helped solidify the dragon sword and Tommy and uh, basically Mighty Morphin Season 1 as an icon because there really wasn't anything quite like that from after this season. No, like we've had some really cool weapons and I would and I would say that 
like even the sword of darkness is a is a really cool weapon like it looks great mm-hmm. we see the sword of darkness pop up like a couple other like couple more times after this but i really wish that they would have been able to do something with that outside of this five-parter but i understand why it had to go away because the whole concept is that it's the sword of darkness that that keeps tommy under control which is really interesting because you would think that it's you would think that it would be the dragon coin like the corrupted dragon coin that would keep tommy under control but it's actually the sword that she uses to to keep Tommy. well you know why they had to do that because they they were going to keep him around so they can't just destroy the coin right so they had to tie it to something else Although, I mean, we see some other pretty crazy stuff in this. We've talked about it on the power trip, but I would have to say out of these five episodes, uh, I mean, there's some really great stuff in all of them, but I might have to go with part four as my favorite of the four, uh, of the five. Part five is a very close second because of Dragonzord, because that's when Dragonzord shows up, but part four is the wildest. <laughs> part four... Yeah, part four gets gets crazy. Part four is eclipsing the Megazord. Yeah, and- which has Bulk and Skull, the resident bullies who are in a bus, and then you know they're using them as leverage because they're in the bus. And then we have this bit where they're they're trying to catch the bus, and then they catch the bus and put it down. So there's some good miniature work there in the Sentai footage, and you know, and there's and some suspense as well as they're about to push it over we get some I, saban footage of the costumes with stunt actors who are definitely underacting compared to the sentai actors i would then i would venture to guess that part four although it is the mo- although it's one of the most impactful episodes in the, although it's it's one of the most important ones because again we we see the destruction of the, the destruction in scare quotes of the megazord Part four felt like more of a like return to formula type episode. A little bit, you know, kind of back to the monster of the week thing. But the reason I cite it is because as my favorite, because of it's because it's wild is that giant Tommy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've already established that we've already established that Tommy is a grower, not a shower um, with the power trip podcast. So, yeah, I mean, giant Tommy it's is just a- the fact that she that Rita used the monster growing wand on Tommy. So we have giant Tommy fighting the Megazord mm-hmm. with Goldar and Monster Scorpina is just that is just wild for me to think about because that it never happened again. Not like that it, anyway. <laughs> it just makes it just makes me wonder why why Toei didn't do like giant putties or uh, or something else with that like that or even just leave scorpina in her human form give her like leave scorpina in her human form make her bigger and she's still just as terrifying she's but i don't know uh, maybe the the giant sport the the giant scorpion creature as as a would be a lot more terrifying i think but yeah but still it's just wild because yeah it's the for it's going back to the formula but it's it's kind of a left field version of the formula. Let's be honest. Yeah. Because one of the memes, I think one of the memes we made for this, for our episode on mighty Morphin was it's Tommy coming out of the mist saying, fine, 
I'll do it myself. Yeah, basically. Uh, which is a good reveal, too, where he's coming out of the fog. Oh, it's, sh- it's shot beautifully. Yeah, and he's gigantic. I was just like, oh, my gosh. So it's this, it's a giant ranger, which, like I said, just mm-hmm. almost never happens. But then part five, we get the dragon sword, and all is right with the world, and it stomps around and eats a smokestack, which is just kind of funny. <laughs> I actually forgot that we didn't get the dragon sword until part five, which I honest to God thought we got dragon sword earlier than this. I thought we got dragon sword in part four, but no, because kind of, we had uh, giant Tommy. Why we have giant Tommy? Rem- why do you need well, the dragon I was, sword? <laughs> I was remembering the timeline incorrectly. Yes. It's also part four is also one of the rare times that we have, at least in mighty Morphin, we have an episode set at night. They yeah, didn't that's do they didn't do night episodes very often or at least no. in the dark because it was an eclipse because the because the Megazord is apparently solar powered and no one told us until then. I mean, yeah, I guess I always I always imagine I always thought that the, the Megazord was powered by the morphing grid, which is not reliant on solar powers. But OK, whatever. It's a plot convenience. <laughs> well, and it, it's tying it because in because I've seen that much of Zhu Ranger and it's tapping into Zhu Ranger because they were using the Zhu Ranger footage because the quote unquote Megazord in there was solar powered. Right. Yeah. Or at least it needed energy from the sun because yeah, uh, one of the big differences is that as you hinted at it is that in Zhu Ranger, the Zords are actually living beings. Yeah. Because in Zhu Ranger, Daijujin which is the or giant god robot god Daijujin is what he's called in Jew Ranger draws his power from the earth and from its elements. So being powered by the sun makes a whole lot of sense. And like and like you just said, you know the the dinosaurs are actual living sentient beings, and they're not just giant robots. Yeah, yeah. So it's one of the they were utilizing it, but yeah, hey, it it worked as a as a good way to set up. You know, we were talking about the stakes and the gravity of the situation. It really did help to play into that because this is pr- the biggest challenge that our heroes have faced so far in this show. Yeah. And, you know, later season, later Ranger seasons have tried to replicate what is done here. And I would say without sounding like a huge fanboy, which I am, I, I fully admit that. I'm fully comfortable in admitting that I am a fanboy of this of this whole thing. But you know, the first step towards solving a problem is admitting you have it. Got it. Right. Exactly. I, I say the same thing about my buying habits. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 like fancy blue Ghidorahs. I get it. <laughs> but uh, that was actually a gift, sir. I didn't buy that myself. That was a gift from the board. Uh-huh. Anyway, but but this. The whole formula has been attempted to be replicated with very like moderate success, but not as it doesn't reach the same levels as this did. No, like they this, have uh, the franchise has tried to recapture this magic in later series, but it never quite gets there. I would say the most obvious example, without getting too far into the weeds about this, would be something like Lightspeed Rescue with the Titanium Ranger. Not. It tries, but it doesn't quite get there. It actually had the potential to go to to top green with evil if they wanted to, but they didn't quite get there. They didn't go far enough with it. Yeah, they didn't go far enough with it. But then something like Time Force did an interesting spin on it where the Sixth Ranger is not a villain. He's more of an anti-hero, but he is antagonistic toward the Rangers. Right. 
it's not that one wasn't so much going for recapturing the magic so much as it was doing a, a different spin on the concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, you know, just other seasons have tried this, and they just it just it just doesn't reach the same level of gravitas as the as this five parter did. Yeah. Because this five parter is very weighty. There's a lot of stakes, and I said this at the, at the top of the show, where if you want to establish the threat level, you have them invade the command center. You sh- you have your villain take away something from your heroes yeah, yeah. to yeah, put them at a disadvantage because the, the command center was their sanctuary. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was their it, it was their safe place where they could gather, figure out what to do, and go do it. Right. And he just comes right in and says, "This is no longer safe. You yeah, don't the, get a refuge this time. There is well, no refuge from me. There is no refuge because not only not only does he invade the command center, but he also invades the Megazord. Which we learn the reason why he can get into the Megazord is because he has a power coin." Like you have access to that. That's the whole thing here. Like you have access, he has access to the same things the Rangers do because he has a power coin too. Yeah. So that really establishes the threat level because to some, to, to some degree he is just like they are, but just working for the working for the wrong side. Yeah, for sure. Which yeah, that's as good a time as any to uh, get into a little bit of a thematic discussion. I think we'll wrap up by talking about, this miniseries legacy, at least a little bit. So we talked a bit about this on the power trip, but one of the things that I actually find fascinating and one of the things that we try to hammer home on the power trip is that there's more to power Rangers than I think a lot of people are willing to admit. And they tend to write power Rangers off as just silly, disposable, campy, children's entertainment from the 90s well if that was the case i don't imagine that people would still be talking about power rangers to this day because there's plenty of 90s children's shows that have been lost in in the ether even if they were popular at the time care bears Mm, well some people still call it talk about care bears but (laughs) i mean i know what you mean yeah, that's it's it's a it's a low it's a, a an example of something that doesn't that hasn't necessarily had like the the stay power as something yeah. that, that Power Rangers yeah. has done. And and what we've what like you said, what we've tried to do with the power trip or what I'm doing with the with the article series for Kaiju Rama magazine is I'm trying to show that there is a level of depth here that if you if you you, you Sometimes you have to dig. I, I I fully acknowledge you have to dig and try to connect those dots yourself. It's not always obvious, but there is depth there. There is yeah. something there to latch on to. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I did, and I even joked about it on social media, is like, you want to know what kind of a podcast MIFV is? MIFV is the kind of podcast that quotes St. Augustine and J.R.R. Tolkien when talking about Power Rangers. And you're about to get that now because you and I were talking about this and we think one of the central themes of this miniseries is the nature of evil, which mm-hmm. does also tie into things like redemption. Heck, I <laughs> I put together a nerd and geek devotional book that had an entry, not written by me, but written by a writer friend of mine about Tommy that was about redemption and this five-part miniseries. Yeah, you know, this this miniseries also, to bring it a little bit closer to home, 
This also kind of questions what it really means to be a Power Ranger. Mm-hmm. The example that I'm about to give, I think it comes in episode, or I'm sorry, not episode, but part three, The Rescue, where it's the confrontation between Tommy and Jason in the dark dimension. And Jason says to Tommy, if you're, if you're truly a ranger, you'd be on Zordon's side, not Rita's. Mm-hmm. So was he truly, and this is, this is an argument that I've had with other people about, I think it, it falls into like Christian apologetics where it's, we were having a discussion about free will and things of that nature. And they brought up the point of, oh, you're really not a Christian if you're still doing bad things. Like yeah. if you're still doing these things, you're still, you're, you were never the, the argument that I always get into and I'm, and I'm not going to name names, but the, he's a very good friend of mine, but we always get into this argument of if you're still questioning God, if you're still questioning things like, you know, good versus evil, were you really ever a Christian to begin with? Yeah. Like, were you, were you ever, were you ever saved? Like yeah. in, to use, to use church terminology, yeah, were yeah. you ever yeah. You might want to keep that guy away from Reverend Mafune. He would have choice words. <laughs> uh, the, uh, I'm sure. I'm the, sure. Uh, the chaplain here on Monster Island. <laughs> Especially since Reverend Mafune has a katana on his hip mm-hmm. at all times. So Right. So, well, uh, him, him, my friend and I have gotten into some heated arguments where I've wanted to whip out my katana on him, but oh, nope. That sounds way worse. <laughs> sounds way worse than it was intended to. <laughs> I, uh, I, that, uh, I think Jimmy is once again giving you his subtle little signal to cool it. <laughs> so, there are so many d- jokes on this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Jet. I needed some censorship there. <laughs> <laughs> but what's but it really does. Like this five-parter questions kind of what it really means to be a ranger. But as we're about ready to talk about, you know, sometimes so, like even though evil can corrupt you there's always like that level of redemption. There's always that redemption story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why I was thinking about this and weirdly enough, (laughs) this concept is actually, it's, it's, it's a little serendipitous. Maybe it's good that you got bribed by the board and, and this episode was postponed until now because this concept has actually been getting memed really hard on the internet because Lord of the Rings fans are not too happy about the new Amazon show that just had a trailer drop. Mm-hmm. And they're, they've been talking about this idea. And I, and I was aware of this as a fan of Tolkien myself, J.R. Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this concept is very much indicative of his work. And I thought that there was some place where he articulated this, but I mm-hmm. actually didn't find it articulated exactly like this. But this is derived from an excerpt from Lord of the Rings where one of, where it's Frodo speaking and I will I'll share that with you in a second but Tolkien was a very devout catholic man and so what one concept that you see throughout his work is the idea of what is the nature of evil and his argument was that to put it succinctly evil by its nature can't create it can only corrupt or destroy what was originally good and since God created, in his worldview, if God created everything and and God created everything good, then, then what we deem evil was not created evil. It was made evil. It was not how God intended it. So as, one, uh, as an article I looked at put it, it's, he said, it goes, quote, Tolkien treats 
evil as a privation of the good in a manner corresponding to the well-known doctrine of St. Augustine and Bothias, as well as countless others in that tradition. So remember how I said I'd be talking about, <laughs> I'd be quoting St. Augustine? Well, that's coming up here in a second. But to give a little bit of background, St. Augustine, who was a medieval theologian, originally came from uh, uh, what was considered a heretical doctrine that actually sounds a little bit like dualism. I don't know if you've ever heard the term dualism, Michael. I have, but for the but for the uninitiated, Nate, what does dualism mean? Well, the idea that, uh, at least when it comes to the ideas of uh, good and evil, that because this is what this doctrine believed, it was, let me look up the name here really quick, Manichaeism? I hope I said that right. But it basically, to put it succinctly, it believed that good and evil were always 50-50, and each one was always trying to gain an advantage over the other. But it was always a basically a flip of the coin to see if either good or evil would triumph at any point. So that he came out of that tradition and then moved it. St. Augustine came out of that tradition and moved into another one. And then I found this interesting little quotation here, which is from his confessions. That's one of his books where he espouses an idea that is very much, I think, indi uh, indicative of Tolkien was a big influence on him. And I think has application in the, as weird as it sounds in this five parter quote, it was obvious to me that things which are liable to corruption are good if they were the supreme goods, or if they were not good at all, they could not be corrupted. For if they were supreme goods, they would be incorruptible. If there were no good in them, there would be nothing capable of being corrupted. Corruption does not harm, and unless it diminishes the good, no harm is done. Therefore, either corruption does not harm, which cannot be the case, or which is wholly certain, all things that are corrupted suffer privation of some good. If they were to be deprived of all good, they would not exist at all. End quote. Which gets extrapolated in this article to basically say that this concept basically means evil is nothing. Evil is basically nothingness. That's why you know, it's, evil is very nihilistic if you stop and think about it, because it's removing the good and everything was, in Tolkien's view, was created good. And that's why I think this five-parter is actually really harrowing at points because we're introduced to Tommy, and he's a good kid. Mm -hmm. He's a very good kid. I wish we had seen a little bit more of him, but you know, we'll talk about that because there's some expanded universe material that gives us a little bit more about Tommy. A little and, bit, yeah. And yeah. we're not entirely sure if it's canon or not the ranger wiki treats it like it's treats it like it's canon yeah it's just so out but it's so we'll get there but it's just so out there in some spots that it's almost hard for me to take it as official yeah, canon yeah but uh, but if you take that story that it's a comic book it's called going green if you take that into account because we there's some there's a few lines here that give this impression rita does not make that power coin she finds it and then finds someone to use it <clears throat> it is it's definitely in her possession yeah and even even zordon even because even zordon says i think it's an it, it is an issue or not issue it is in episode five where he or part five where he says oh rita fine i'm paraphrasing oh rita finally found someone to 
to give the coin to. Yes. Yes. So, th- so this coin has been in her possession this whole time for God knows how long, ever since a certain battle with some radishes, I guess. Yeah, uh, King Rutabaga. <laughs> Which... <laughs> I had never, <laughs> I had, I had never read. I had, you and I were talking about this the other evening. We're like, oh crap, we're gonna have to buy this issue now, and it's really, and it's kind of, it's hard to find a, like a new fresh copy. But turns out it's a part of a an archive series put out by Boom from a couple of years ago, and I read that, and I was like, okay, so this is incredibly silly. Are they trying to be, is this trying to be a parody mixed in with some lore or what's going on here? Or are they just leaning into the camp? We won't, we don't have to go into detail, uh, like full detail of that whole issue. But the, the big point, the big point in that issue that it's trying to make is uh, apparently Rita gains or uh, is given or finds the power coin she or gets it. She finds the power coin after doing battle with uh, King Rutabaga. King Rutabaga, I can't even say it with a straight face. King Rutabaga, King King Rutabaga, geez, there we go. And his army, and apparently the coin is nestled in a statue of Ninjor. It's it's yep. kept inside of a statue of Ninjor, which yep. we know in as part of Ranger canon, Ninjor is the creator of the power coins. So he still had the statue, still possesses the Green Ranger coin. So she finds the Green Ranger coin, and then. She discovers Tommy. the The way the story goes, she sends a she sends a monster down to Earth, <laughs> who uh, interestingly is named Corruptor with a K. Right. So <laughs> so so Tommy is just kind of minding his own business. He intercepts the creature and fights it, and she's like, "Oh, this random human has some skills." And yeah. so she's like, "He will make he will make a good Green Ranger." Yes. And then. She she greets she the 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 big difference between <laughs> She's super flirty and everything with it too. right it's really creepy it's it's really it's like she wants him to call what is it she wants him to call her mama uh, Rita. mommy repulsa mama mommy repulsa okay all right that's all right so whoever wrote that comic has got mommy issues I can tell, I can tell you that um so if if we're if we're this is what kind of it, it kind of rewrites the show in a way because in the show it is implied that the moment that Rita corrupts Tommy, that is the first time they meet each other. But in the comic, they actually meet each other prior, yeah. and she's doing like the she's doing like that. What's the what's the scene from the Bible where the devil is trying to convince G, or is trying oh, to the, the temptation in the wilderness. The temptation in the wilderness. Thank you. It's it's sort of like the story of the temptation in the wilderness, where she's having this conversation with Tommy, trying to convince him, and Tommy's not having any of it. But in the show, it's kind of implied that this is the first time they meet each other. But in the comic, it kind of rewrites that a little bit. Yeah, That's what I, I can see that, but it also does make a little bit more sense because we don't know why she picked Tommy or where she got the coin. So I'm glad that they at least expanded on that. We can debate which, the canonicity of it. I understand. But. No, that's fine. And which brings me to a, a something in my notes here where I said it was in episode or it was in, I keep saying episode, but it, yeah, it was, it was in part two where 
you know, she sends down the putties to fight Tommy as a test so that he can possess the sword of darkness. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so he's already fought the putties and these are not the super putties that we see later. These are just regular run of the mill putties. So it's kind of like she should have just gave him the darn sword. Maybe. I, I don't know. Like that just, it just they needed an action sequence. They needed an action sequence. They needed an action sequence I'm, I'm, where, uh, where a putty, a very unfortunate putty, could get a face full of Tommy Oliver crotch for that Hurricane right. Rana. Right, right. So and that putty just has a face that just says, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, but that's but my point is that's a that is a good thing that I think that comic did was, you know, Tommy just happens to be there at the right place, right time to fight this monster that had just got sent down to earth. And Rita saw that as a, as a test or as a, yeah. uh, in a as an inadvertent test to say, Oh, this kid is special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so she takes him and she, in again, very fairy tale sort of fashion. She casts a spell upon him to make him, act differently to make him pliable mm-hmm. put him under her spell and he still that this is the interesting thing even after it's lifted he still wants to blame himself for what happened maybe it maybe he got over it a little too quickly and maybe the rest of the rangers were a little too quick to forgive but he still wanted to blame himself for what happened mm-hmm. and so he was still taking responsibility he wasn't just using it as an excuse it wasn't me and he admits it's like, I still did it. I still did it. And yeah. it, and that's what makes it harrowing because like I said, we established quickly, Tommy's a good kid. And to see Rita just come in and through her dark powers, bend him to her will and use him as a tool. It's disgusting. Kind of. It it's not just kind of disgusting. It is disgusting. It is the, it's the nature of evil where, you know, evil can take something as beautiful as, as a human life and corrupt it and twist it to, to the point where it's almost unrecognizable. And, you know, when, when, and I wrote this in my notes, something to the effect of, I can find, I'm trying to find it here, but it was something to the effect of, you know, evil, you can mask evil. You can, you can put a mask over evil, but eventually that evil is going to come through. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is something that they do in this. And I know we talked about this in the power trip where I said, you know, would this have been improved if they had let Tommy be a little bit subtler with the change? But then I, when I watched it again for this, I realized, well, he's the new kid, so they don't really know what he's like. Mm-hmm. So it's, I guess you can get away with it a little bit more, but it would have been a little interesting if they had let the change be a bit more subtle or if they had kept Tommy's identity as the green Ranger secret until part four, you know, but I, we, I played around but, with it, but. but to be, but to be fair, when we first introduced, when we first get introduced to Tommy, well, I take it back. It's not just when we first exact, when we first get introduced to Tommy, it's a little bit later when he's runs off bulk and skull away from Kim. And he, you know, he, he has this kind of this calm, respectful, very sweet demeanor about him, but then, you know, he just changes like the progression is the, I feel like the progression 
is like night and day from the time yeah. from, from when we see him in the hallway at school to after Rita yeah. were till after Rita corrupts him because he becomes kind of a recluse, very yeah. cold. He keeps to like he's not as like warm and as friendly yeah. Yeah. as yeah. as he but was. But admittedly, in part four, when Kim was it part four? No, I think it was in part five. But when uh, which was actually one of your awards on the power trip where Kim confronts him and says like, "Hey, we we know you're the Green Ranger," and then he's like, "Well, guess what? Rita's gonna win, and you're all gonna die." He he yeah. drops all yeah. pretense. Yeah, that was that was part five because we get we see that Tommy's the the big reveal is made at the very end of part four, and yeah. then it's expand and then it's then it's more explored in part five. So yeah, it was part five. Yeah, yeah, and so all the, when you talk about unmasking evil at that point, he's like, "Well." no pretense anymore so guess what there you go and the specific i'm wondering though i'm wondering but i'm wondering though because i'm sitting here thinking is that because did he does he drop all pretense because of of hubris or because of out of desperation or what is it at this point like because i think we can become so confident in our like i feel like you know villains and or not just villains but just people who are just genuinely evil yeah when they get so confident in their in their evilness or in their in the thing that's corrupting them they just drop the mask entirely yeah. whereas yeah, basically they, they put the mask on to hide sort of an insecurity like well maybe this is not necessarily the right thing to do maybe yeah. maybe i maybe i'm not a true believer here in this in this yeah. moment mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's it, it's a level of confidence where it's like, oh, I don't, I, there's nothing you could do about it. I don't need to lie to you anymore. It's too late. It's too late for you. Well, <laughs> so, spoiler warning, Tommy. <laughs> Did you forget what show you were in? <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, this whole concept that what people are latching onto, I thought it was from an essay. It's not. It's actually from a passage in Lord of the Rings. It mm -hmm. comes from Frodo. Him and Sam are talking about how, despite the fact that the orcs are evil and cruel, they have these weird moments of kindness when they were holding them captive. So this is from Return of the King, which is book three of the trilogy. And Frodo tells Sam, quote, No, they eat and drink, Sam. The shadow that bred them can only mock. It cannot make. Not real new things of its own. I don't think it gave life to the orcs. It only ruined them and twisted them. And if they are to live at all, they have to live like other living creatures. Foul waters and foul meats they'll take. If they can get no better, but not poison. Because Sam thought that the orcs lived by eating poison. They've fed me and I'm no better off than you. There must be food and water somewhere in this place. End quote. So again, it goes back to the idea that which is evil was, was something that was good that was later corrupted. And in this idea is like, there's still at least some little vestiges, some little vestiges of goodness left in there. And we, we talked a bit about this on the power trip where even some of these horribly villainous characters in, especially the early seasons of power Rangers, we still see little glimmers of goodness in them. You know, Rita and Lord Zed genuinely love each other, which is so bizarre. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, little things like that. So, yeah. So I think that this is definitely playing into it. You know, that's why it's so harrowing to watch because we're we're seeing Tommy turned into nothing 
basically. The goodness is taken from him, and then so he's just this empty, uh, I guess in a way, an empty vessel, <laughs> this pawn that Rita is using to accomplish her goals, and she very nearly does, let's be honest. <laughs> Tommy comes probably the closest out of anybody in, the, in Mighty Morphin for a very long time to actually defeating the Rangers. I want to park just for like a, for a minute on something that you just said about the fact that the evil cannot create something. It can only corrupt something that is already in existence, which that kind of makes me think, okay, so everything is inherently good, but it only becomes evil when we allow it to be corrupted or mm-hmm. when we allow, when we allow corruption to seep in. Yeah, for sure. And some, like, and the, what's interesting and we're running a little long, so I'm going to have to kind of summarize this as best I can. But Tolkien famously wrote an essay called On Fairy Stories that you know, delved into a lot of things like this. I didn't want to bring a few of the points that he made in that. He talked about a lot of things in this essay, but I think this is something that's applicable because we're talking about these things in, you know, it's a children's show. It's very fairy tale like And he, in a large portion of this essay, made a huge defense of stories like this and how you know it, it's presumptive for adults to write stuff off like fairy like fairy tales as being childish you know and he talked about having a quote-unquote willing suspension of disbelief and you know like he said right here you know the suspension of disbelief may thus be somewhat tired shabby or sentimental state of mind and so lean to the adult i fancy it often the state of adults in the presence of a fairy story they are held there and supported by sentiment memories of childhood notions of what childhood ought to be like they think they ought to be like the tale that if they really liked it or itself they would not have to suspend disbelief they would believe in this sense sounds a bit like nostalgia doesn't it (laughs) a little bit yeah yeah, but he talked about how worlds like that are very appealing for children, even if they are filled with danger, because it's so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, a war, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, a kid's watching Powers like that looks exciting. There's monsters attacking every week, but it looks exciting. <laughs> yeah, what I really liked about this five-parter specifically is it does not talk down to its audience. Like this is meant for a younger audience. This is meant for kids, I'd say like eight to 10 years old or something like that. But it doesn't, it doesn't talk down to its audience in that, in that way. Like it deals with some very heavy and heady concepts in this five-parter, which makes it so, which makes it so incredibly effective. Yeah. And like I said, on the power trip, campy or not, you still have to have good writing. You can be campy and have good writing. And so you can't just hope that the, you, you can make poor writing call and say it's campy and then people accept it. That's not necessarily the case. And Tolkien also talked about how stuff like this is, you know, it, it awakens desire in the audience, you know, desire for something like, you know, like a world like that. Or, you know, he goes on to also talk about Ch- GK Chesterton. We talked about the heart of a child and how, you know, he says, you know, Chesterton said, quote, for children are innocent and love justice, while most of us are wicked and naturally prefer mercy. <laughs> which I think is interesting, which is why maybe that's why this story actually works. Because, you know, the child audience, they see it and, and they want justice. 
That's what these superheroes are doing, right? They're dispensing justice. But as adults, we can look at it and we can see the mercy that's offered Tommy. Mm -hmm. This story definitely teaches you forgiveness. There is, there's a lot of really interesting concepts here that, that, you know, forgiveness, redemption, pretty high level things for a kid's show, Yeah, but it's, it's framed in a way that kids can, can understand. I know we're running long, so I'm trying to, well, I'll just make a couple more quick points and then we'll, we'll wrap some things up here. But yeah, Tolkien also talked about that the the three most important things that stories like this can offer are recovery, escape, and consolation. And you know, so he talked about how recovery uh, is, quote, a regaining of a clear view. I do not say seeing, thi- seeing things as they are and involve myself with philosophers, though I might venture to say seeing, thi- seeing things as we are or were meant to see them. As things apart from ourselves, we need, in any case, to clean our windows so that the things seen clearly may be freed from the drab blur of triteness or familiarity, from possessiveness. So he's saying that stories like this allow us to see the world as it really is. And, you know, I think what you see here in Power Rangers, it's, it's, it's a, I heard a friend of mine tell me that that's a very J.K. Chesterton idea about how certain genres of stories can say things that others can't. So something like say power Rangers can say stuff about the nature of good and evil that some highfalutin literary story wouldn't be able to. Right. And then I'll mention really quick, you know, he talked about escape and I love this analogy because we've talked about escapism a lot in our podcasts and how that is a valuable thing. And some people write it off. It's like, why would you want to escape? And (laughs) Tolkien uses the analogy of why should a man be scorned if finding himself in prison, he tries to get out and go home. (laughs) Or if when he cannot do so, he thinks and talks about other topics than jailers and prison walks. The world outside has not become less real because the prisoner cannot see it. So basically saying like, if you use fairy stories to escape from the trials of, from the trials of the world, you're not ignoring reality. You're finding a way to escape from that prison. We would not begrudge a prisoner to escape from prison. I think escape escapist media is necessary to do sort of that mental health reset in a way. I think it's necessary to have that escapist media because like, what does escapist media give us? aside from an escape it gives us an opportunity to i know the phrase turn our brains off but we're not like when we say turn our brains off we're not actually turning our brains off when we watch escapist media we're we're diving into the familiar we're diving into something that the, maybe i don't know maybe we're this is a conversation about the lizard brain part of our yeah the lizard part of our brain that's very just simplistic like like keeping things simple it's like why the best i don't know it's it's kind of like why the best ideas will come to me or come to other people when we're doing mundane tasks, when we're just kind of like just doing things like taking a shower, using the restroom or just doing things that just are very repetitive there. They don't take a lot of brain power to do, but I've had some of my best ideas where I'm in the shower and I'm just doing the, I'm just doing that. And it's a very mundane task. But at that point I've kind of shut my brain off. I've just, I'm just just doing a very simple task and I, or I'm watching a very simple, like a very simplified piece of media. 
and it it helps it helps to re it helps as a reset i think that's what i'm yeah. getting around to it helps yeah. as, escapist media is necessary as, as sort of a reset yeah. for her yeah and then consolation and this i think goes back to what we were talking about the uh, the nature of evil because it, with tolkien's idea about evil that we discussed it offers hope because we know that evil is nothing <laughs> and if it's nothing you know what can it do so this last bit about consolation, have you ever heard the term you catastrophe? Uh, is that the, is that the concept? Is that the, the idea that you have brought this on yourself? No, the, this oh. is a term that he invented. It's basically the opposite of a catastrophe. It is a sudden turn to joy or, you know, the sudden happy oh. ending. Okay. No, I've never heard of that. Yeah. This is the you know the moment when everything turns, and maybe could we make the argument that the end of this miniseries is a you catastrophe? The sword of darkness is destroyed, Tommy is freed, the Rangers forgive him, the Rangers get a new Zord, <laughs> you know, balance of power shifts a little bit. Yeah, that's I think that's a better way to look at it because I was looking at it at a I was looking at it from the mindset of oh this feels very abrupt. Like this yeah. feels like a, like a very Southern, like, boom, everything is, everything is good again, you know, yeah. but framing it in that, looking at it from that perspective helps. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like I said, it's stuff like that, that it gives the characters hope. It gives the readers hope, you know, not only in the story, but outside of it. Yeah. And, you know, Tolkien then went on in this essay to connect that to, you know, the Christian story and you got theological about it and it's great. It's great because that's the mark, I think, of a good story where you can put your characters in such dire straits that there comes that moment where there is that sudden turn and all becomes well again. Yeah. And you don't necessarily expect it, which uh, in some versions of the story, as we saw, you know, thanks to the Boom Studios comics, we get a little bit of a, a what if, which is interesting. Oh. A little bit because like, we see what could have happened. And this is part of the legacy of this fight of this five parter. Cause not only we've mm -hmm. talked about, you know, it introduced us to a lot of fan favorite characters. It was a big turning point in the franchise. This is what solidified power Rangers as a franchise made mm -hmm. it popular. Right. And you know, all of the characters, everything that we've gotten out of it and then how they've tried to emulate that since then. But one of the other things that we've gotten out of it is, one of the most popular characters to come out of the Boom Studios comic books is Lord Draken, <laughs> who is an alternate universe Tommy Oliver, who is a villain. So it's very much, uh, very much like an old school DC thing because they did that. They had an entire Justice League that were a bunch of villains called the Crime Syndicate that ruled in parallel universe. Interestingly, the evil Superman was named Ultraman, but okay. <laughs> But so Lord Draken, he's Tommy who just like in the prime universe had the spell broken, but he chose to stay with Rita. It wasn't a magic it, spell. He made the choice. He made the choice because he, he enjoyed the power and the control that it gave him. Yeah. So he stayed with Rita and then basically helped her take over the world. And then he killed Rita and ruled the world himself. Mm -hmm. it's, and then it just spirals out of control. And then he learns the corruptive magic spell from Rita and then uses it on that universe's version of Kim, turns her into a ranger slayer. So he's yeah. continuing this, this legacy. 
so now he's been corrupted and now he's corrupting Kim. Mm-hmm. And you know, it Which just conti- it, it keeps perpetuating. But yeah, like, what is he doing throughout you know, throughout that story and then in Shattered Grid famously? What's he doing? I have to have more power. Give me more power. I'm gonna go collect all of these coins and power sources, make myself more powerful. It's this kind of nihilistic pursuit of more power. He must have more. And it's yeah, never I'm, satisfying because he's evil, he's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's but what is the what is the antithesis of that though? If we look at it, what is the antithesis of that need, that drive? Like the the when you when I think of the phrase like absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like what is the antithesis of that? Tell me. I don't know. I'm asking you. Oh, (laughs) what's the antithesis of that? I think it would actually it would be like your your aspirational heroes, you know, who are always giving and serving with their abilities. (laughs) That I think is the opposite of that. Using power. Not for your own gain. It's kind of like you know. It, it, we get it at the end of this. Uh, at the end of this miniseries, what what's one of the rules that Zordon gives the Rangers? Never use your powers for personal gain. Mm. Well, I think that I think really the simple the, the the simpler version of that would be love. Yeah, love is the is the is the nucleus of all the things like forgiveness and redemption and that and if we look at even the Christian faith, like love, like why did Jesus sacrifice himself out of love? Yeah, you know, love encompasses all things that are good. We do think we do the thing we do good things for people out of love. We forgive those who have wronged us out of love. We allow people to redeem themselves out of love. Like love is the antithesis of everything. Mm. Of Which I guess, in a way, makes it appropriate that Tommy is a Green Ranger because, in some color theories. New beginnings. It me, yeah. It's a it, green is symbolic of rebirth. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in a way, Tommy is reborn at the end of this. Now he's a mm-hmm. ranger. <laughs> yeah. After he had spent much of uh, much, uh, you know, basically this entire five parter being a bad guy. It's a heck of a story. <laughs> Campy it's though a, it may be, it's a heck of a story. And it, it can't. Be, yeah, you're right. It, it can't be though. It may be as silly as some of those moments are. And as head scratching as a lot of it is, giant Tommy, <laughs> giant Tommy, fog machine. Ugh, okay, as head scratching as that as that five parter is, and kind of just thinking about like Power Rangers as a whole uh, being very campy and childish. Like there are moments like like Green with Evil, and I think that you know Green with E. I don't think when the writers when the writers did Green with Evil, I don't necessarily. I don't think they knew what a big impact it was going to have. Oh, I don't think they did at all. I, I don't, don't think so. they had any idea. But I think, like I said, as campy as it is, I think it tapped into some things that have helped to give it resonance, it, almost in spite of those other elements. Mm-hmm. And I think that's saying a lot. I think that's saying yeah. a lot. Like I've been say, uh, like I said, you can do campy, but you still have to have good writing. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, this has gone on a, a little longer than I thought, and uh, I'm but it's sure. been, but it's been it's been good though. We got more out of we actually got more out of this than we expected to. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. But now it's time to start wrapping things up. Thank you for listening to the Power Trip, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton and Nathan Marching. If you'd like to send us feedback, email us at powertrippod at gmail.com. 
Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at the Power Trip Pod, and join our official Facebook group, Power Rangers Legacy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other great podcasters. The podcast logo was designed by Rebecca Hudgens. Follow her on Instagram at super underscore r underscore illustrations. Our theme songs are from the album Power of the Grid by Neil Stenson. We also use Galaxy Quest Instrumental by Heaven Wraith from the OC Remix album Jet Force Gemini Mizar Attacks. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. The Power Trip has no association with Saban Entertainment or Hasbro. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. And until next time, see ya! This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2022 Kaiju Ramen Media, LLC.